I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. Thanks to Worthy for supporting Muller She Wrote. Worthy believes you deserve an easier way to sell your valuable jewelry. Go to worthy.com slash ag to get started. That's worthy.com slash ag. And thanks to the Awful Neutral podcast. Listen to seven comics, including myself, AG, as we play multiple role-playing games, including D&D, Call of Cthulhu, and Kids on Bikes, an RPG based on Stranger Things. Search for Awful Neutral wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. This is Seth Abramson. I'm the author of Proof of Collusion, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your anonymous host, AG, and with me today are Jordan Coburn. Hello. And Amanda Reeder. Hello. We have a big show today. We're right in the middle. We're right in between South Carolina and Super Tuesday uh, in the 2020 Democratic primaries. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a lot going on with the House Judiciary subpoena of Trump's former White House counsel, Don McGahn. And I'll be speaking with someone who worked as a prosecutor for 30 years in the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. named Glenn Kirshner. We've had him on the show before. You won't want to miss that. And that's coming up at the interview uh, in the last block of the show. So how are you guys? Good. Ladies, women. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. I yeah. um I did a weekend at Grand Comedy Club. It's a new spot in Escondido. That's really fun. And Chris Cope was featuring, who was on our show. Yeah. Yeah. And he, cool. he texted me, too. He's like, yeah. Jor- dude, Jordan's hosting. I was like, oh, I thought it was. I couldn't remember the other headliner you had told me about. Mm, and I, I was like, yeah, that was you. Cool. Yeah. No, Maranzio Vance was headlining. But yeah, it was funny because Chris was like, Hey, how's it, how's it going? Good to meet you. And I'm like, oh, we've actually met before. And he was like, oh, when? And then I said some other show, and I completely forgot it was from the podcast that we also know each other. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, you know, and I'm like, and he goes, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> 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 well, I'll stop right there. And I'm like, oh, 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 yeah, I'm on the podcast with her. And he goes, oh, I, that's how I know your voice. And I was like, oh, yeah, shit, I forgot you were on the podcast before. <laughs> You're on it. Yeah, sounds fun. Yeah, that, those are fun shows. What did you do this weekend? I uh, actually um, cared for my sick wifey mm. <laughs> and helped a friend move. Mm. So Busy. Yeah. Nice. Is yeah. she okay? Yeah, yeah. She was so sick last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was saying that when she was out, the few times she was out in public, when she would cough or sneeze or something, people would just like jump backwards from her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, Crazy. it's scary. I yeah. was just, uh, before we got on air, I was saying I went to Target to get hand sanitizer. They're completely out. Uh-huh. And the cashier okay. was like, and every other Target is also out. Yeah, within mm-hmm. like 100 miles. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Um, we will get in talking about coronavirus a mm-hmm. little bit, just so mm-hmm. you know. Soap and water works better than hand sanitizer, although hand sanitizer is good. Already. Uh, and the masks um, don't really prevent it. Mm-hmm. Um, those are more for providers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I've always thought, well, if they're wearing them, why wouldn't I... That's what I think, too. I don't really understand that. that. Well, it's kind of just like inconsistent logic, it seems, right? the way that I'm hearing it. But I have heard that it's better for people that already have it because then it mitigates how many of your germs are just like spewing out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Germ spew. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You got fire hose of germs. (laughs) 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 Just like whenever they do like that throw up stuff on Saturday Night Live. Yes, and projectile. <laughs> or uh, Team America World Police. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that. Stay away from that. Yeah. Um, I had a pretty good weekend. I got to hang out with a friend of mine who I hadn't seen forever. Nice. Um, from Long Beach. And then went to a podcast meetup. That's um, right. At Tivoli last night. Ran mm-hmm. into the guys and ladies from So Say We All. Oh, oh cool. Um, specifically. Justin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Justin and Jennifer. Hmm. And apparently uh, my episode of... Uh, incoming is going to air this season on oh, KPBS, cool. so that's oh, cool. really really neat. Oh, I love them. Yeah. They're so, so say we, go ahead. No, I was just going to say Justin and um, Jennifer. They're they're like the homies. Yes. Ryan yeah. Ryan used to live with them. Yep. Yeah. So I basically used to live with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool storytelling organization mm-hmm. in San Diego. Yep. And they have a great veterans writing group as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have a lot of news to get to, but first, let's get into some corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. All right, so today, corrections are brought to you by Amanda Reader. Woohoo. All right, so this is from Ento. And uh, it says, the three of you airing your differences about Bernie and the establishment media was absolutely essential listening. The three of you gals embody quite a bit of the current um, zeitgeist inside the Democratic Party, and you handle it with grace, humor, and consideration as always. Um, Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So rude. So Whatever. rude. I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, so he says, it wasn't on Bernie to announce that he was briefed about Russian interference. A number of reports note this information was classified. And then he links to an MSNBC video. Um, and someone leaked it with very convenient timing right before Nevada. Bernie was upset at the Washington Post. Uh, but one has to wonder if Trump or his sympathizers didn't leak it right before Nevada to try and hurt him. Though we don't really know the specifics, as AG said, no one has the receipts on this. Yeah, considering Trump actually wants Bernie. Yeah. Like he's, you know. Yeah. I don't know that that would have been the case, that, that Trump would have done it. Yeah. Totally. Also, side note, The Daily did a great episode on mm-hmm. this with Bernie. Cool. Yep. I was mm-hmm. thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And then he says, uh, by the way, Oprah's recommendation, 100% deserved. Thank you. Yay, thanks. This is from Amanda Deloff. AG is super smart and organized. Jordan is kind and patient. And Amanda is a breath of fresh Canadian air. I thought that fresh said, I Canadian thought air. kind of impatient. <laughs> Jordan is kind of impatient. <laughs> like, that is I am opposite. incredibly impatient, actually. That's so. the opposite of wolf shirt. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to get um, also more emails about this correction because we're talking about controversial subjects. But anyway, in the episode Ginger Blog Party, after talking about Warren versus Sanders and PAC money, you should know that after 2016, Bernie converted his campaign into the Our Revolution pack and has been accepting dark money contributions since then. It's unfair to the Warren campaign to make it sound like she is doing something Sanders hasn't been doing this whole time. Common Cause actually filed a complaint with the FEC in January about Our Revolution. Much of Sanders' senior staff used to work for Our Revolution. I love them both, but it is unfair to Liz to pretend Sanders is totally clean here. 
uh, you keep me sane in these t- trying times. Interesting. I'll, I'll do more research on, yes. on that. Yes. I didn't know that we that will was all a do more research. Yes, definitely. Because I had heard that it's operating similarly to a pack, but not that it's like actually a pack that mm-hmm. gets all the protections of a pack per yeah. se. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, if you can make dark money donations, which I don't, I haven't verified. I mm-hmm. haven't verified that either, but yep. I would like to yep. very yep. much so. Absolutely. So and yeah, I don't think it would change anybody's mind. Yeah, I think the pack. I would like seems, to know more about it, though. Yeah, that just seems to be like it was such a strong talking point for him for the last like decade at this point plus, you know, so I think that's why people are latching on to it a lot. But there's people that have your opinion, AG, which I think is totally fair, which is like, take the money. These are the rules that exist. Take the money. And mm-hmm. especially roll. with Bloomberg entering the race, yeah. I normally wouldn't be a take the money person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not in 2016, but mm-hmm. we didn't the have, rules a have changed a little. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for those, uh, both of those corrections. Um, and here's the next one. Um, from Anonymous, you guys are generally pretty fair with the Dem candidates. However, you fell for the narrative that presents uh, Pete Buttigieg's comments about taking a pill not to be gay completely out of context. He's relating to the incredibly common experience of a young gay struggling with this part of himself, a struggle um, he says he's now long past. Please watch the video where he talks about this in its entirety rather than just a short clip. I did say that. I think yeah. I think I covered, like, I understand I did intention. Though. Um, uh, behind that statement mm-hmm. it, it was just you know why they had to like pan over to Chastin's face right afterwards but yeah, yeah point taken totally it, yeah it definitely needs to be put in context because ever like most uh, gay people I know have said that very thing mm-hmm. and not to put down or belittle their current spouse or their current SO or mm-hmm. any uh, current sort of relationship configuration they're mm-hmm. in it, it's more to say it's hard mm-hmm. totally yeah Unfortunately, that soundbite sucks. <laughs> yes. short one. I was sucks. curious as soon actually, I think it was Ryan who was watching it. Also, for the Ryan is it my be- my best friend, my boyfriend turned best friend. Aww. So you'll hear me say his name. All Conscious the time. uncoupling. Conscious uncoupling. Yes. No one fucking cares. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right. Ra- ra- any emails we'll get that say nobody fucking cares. Yes, yeah. Ra- Ryan was watching that clip, and his first thought was, "I wonder if he was talking about how he felt when he was younger." Mm-hmm. And yeah. it sounds I didn't watch the full clip either. Neither did so I. It sounds like that's what they're saying. Yep. That like that was the context. Yep. Yeah. 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 And totally. we, I guess we should have hit on that mm-hmm. harder. Yeah, totally. totally. Alrighty, um, just just a couple more here. Um, we got we got so many; it was hard to cut them down. Oh, from Madeline, longtime listener, love listening to women at work. Additional context for the whole Pence Indiana HIV nightmare: it wasn't just that there was a huge HIV flare-up; it was directly caused by Pence defunding Planned Parenthood, where folks get regularly tested for STIs and HIV, and also refusing to allow for clean needle exchanges. It was a manufactured crisis long before the orange baby made them his thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Tom C, as possibly your only libertarian listener curious if he's actually the only one uh you may have been too hard on justin amash for his hr 35 vote um in this twitter thread he explains that lynching is already a federal hate crime and that the law actually increases the chance that people could see the death penalty to him and me the government shouldn't be putting people to death so voting against the bill is actually him voting against expanding the death penalty that is the opposite of my understanding of what justin amash had explained justin amash it's not a federal crime the bill was to make it a federal crime mm-hmm. and to expand it to be a hate crime. Yeah. And that would take away the death penalty. Yeah. So states do the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll I'm not to... sure about that. Yeah. It, he links to a Twitter thread and uh, in... we'll check it out. Yeah, yeah we'll check it we'll out. Definitely check it out. He says, also, thanks. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we should do a libertarian call out. 
If there's other libertarians <laughs> yeah, right? on Twitter, you should uh, you should find one another. Yeah, <laughs> that listen to our podcast. He says, uh, "Thanks for being so open to new information and working to understand other people's views." Uh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. you're listening to the most probably liberal group of <laughs> gaggling women that exists on <laughs> air. <so. laughs> uh, all right, <laughs> we are the new hocus pocus. <laughs> Uh, this is the last one. This is from Maddie Houseman. Love your shows. Listen to them when I walk my dog Blizzard. Ooh, please send <gasps> Whoa, us a picture of that Blizzard. That is an amazing name. Or, I've never or heard of a dog named Blizzard. That's a great name for a dog. Yeah. I consider myself really well informed on news and politics, and you still manage to find stories I haven't heard. You mentioned Devin Nunez's attorney, Stephen Biss, in your story on his dismissed Fusion GPS lawsuit. You said Biss was a Republican on House on the House Intelligence Committee with Nunez. Yeah, exactly- that's wrong. Right. He's actually not. He's a terrible lawyer in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yep. <laughs> no connection with the federal government at all or any government. He's also been suspected twice and reprimanded once. He represents a lot of Republican scum. Great. So the Twitter like a Dershowitz then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Twitter... But not as famous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Twitter account at, at Lusa... Uh, <laughs> the Twitter account at Lawsuits Devin tweets about Nunez and Biss. That's how I know. Nice. And that's it. That is so sad and that his actions questions. have warranted an entire Twitter account. <laughs> That can sustain itself on his shenanigans alone. Oh, God. At at Nunez Lawsuits? uh, It's at Lawsuits Devin. Lawsuits Devin. Whoa, that was all off. Okay, at Lawsuits Devin. Mm, I'm going to follow that. Yeah, I'm going to follow that too. (laughs) Awesome. All right, well, thank you uh, for the corrections. Uh, If you have a correction, visit us at MullerSheWrote.com. Click Contact, Select Corrections, and build us a compliment, Sammy. We'll get it right eventually. Uh, We do have a ton of news to get to, so let's jump in with just the facts. All right, so South Carolina primary happened yesterday, and Biden got 48.8%, with Sanders mm-hmm. coming in at 19.9. Crushed. He mm-hmm. crushed. That is a massive win for Biden, mm-hmm. and he needed it, because if he didn't get it, uh, he might not be able to go forward. Yeah. Uh, the question now is, what will give him eno- will it give him enough momentum? Um, and here's how goofy Joe Biden is. He's calling it Joe Mo. Joe oh, Momentum God. instead of Mojo. Uh, <laughs> but that's the question. He'll be able, will he be able to overcome the massive grassroots movement of the Sanders campaign? Um, we talk more about, and I'm, I, please don't think I'm just saying that they're the only two viable candidates right now. I am not saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk more about campaign strategy and what the Biden campaign and how the Sanders campaign are preparing, along with Warren Buttigieg, why Tulsi hasn't dropped out yet, mm-hmm. Steyer dropping out. We talk about all that in our Daily Beans podcast that comes out first thing Monday morning or tonight if you're a patron. So check that out. We go way, way more in depth in the 2020 election in the mm-hmm. Daily Beans. Um, and that comes out every morning. So, and yep. it's it's a great commuter podcast. Still swearing, and they might be giants. Does the music, so you know it's good. Hell yeah! Um, Biden and Sanders were the only two candidates to walk away with any delegates. Biden captured thirty three. He had fourteen immediately just from entrance polling. They awarded him fourteen delegates, oh and he ended up with thirty three at the end of the night. Bernie got eleven. Mm-hmm. That's honestly more than I thought he was going to walk away with at the start of it when mm-hmm. the polls first started rolling, and I was like, oh my god, he might not even get any. Who mm-hmm. Bernie? Yeah, yeah. Well, seventy one percent of the registered Democrat. Democratic voters in that state are over 45 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, um, stat- and, sorry, I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. Did you see, we'll talk about this on Daily Beans more, I know too, but really quick, did you see how many Democrats there identify as conservative? Yeah, a, quite a few. I, I was like, it's like 10%. It was 11%. Or, or yeah, 11%. Like yeah. It's like, wow, that is. And then also, there were like Biden, like the, the, 
very liberal, ones who identify as very liberal, mm-hmm. went for Biden too. Uh-huh. And so you have to wonder, though, what a very liberal Democrat looks like in South Carolina versus a very liberal Democrat in New York City Definitely. or California. Right. Definitely. I didn't want to pull ourselves into this. Yeah. <laughs> um, Steyer came in third, but he dropped out. That's so weird to me. Dropped out of the race, followed by uh, Buttigieg in fourth. Warren was in fifth, and Tulsi pulled up the rear in sixth. All with less than 10% of the vote. Pulled up the rear. And none of them got any delegates. Uh, after South Carolina, that puts the total delegate count at Bernie in the lead with 57, Biden with 53. Just like that. Yeah. Buttigieg with 26. That's less than half, fewer than half, excuse me, that Biden has. Warren with eight and Klobuchar with seven. Wow. And I'm not, I don't care about Tulsi. Um, super. I actually, she wasn't listed in this report, so I don't <laughs> I don't know. think she has any. I think maybe she's got one. No, she doesn't have any. I don't think she has any yeah. either. I did correct us if we're wrong. Mm-hmm. And of course, Super Tuesday is coming up this week. They have Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Democrats abroad, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. And I think American Samoa was doing a, a caucus in there. Mm-hmm. I feel yep. like I'm back in fifth grade, and that's like the state song. <laughs> Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Indianapolis, <laughs> yeah. Indiana, and Columbus is the capital of Ohio. There's Montgomery, Alabama, south of Helena, Montana, then the sons of Colorado, and Boise, Idaho. I can do the whole song. The Canadian they... is just blankly staring. Yeah, I hope they taught you that song in a British accent as well. Like you just said. <laughs> that's, that's from like the Beatles Animaniacs? Accent. Oh. That's so a it great, was, that's yeah. a great one then. I oh, didn't learn that until that I was weird. 20. Oh, I genuinely <laughs> thought that was something that you learned at school. No, it, oh, well. 20, it was on the Animaniacs and I was like, I gotta learn that. And I also learned the countries of the world. There yeah, are I many... thought you were singing that when you were in grade school. Oh, United no, no, States, you Canada, are. Mexico, you are. Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guyana, and still Guatemala, Bolivia, then Argentina, and Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica, Belize, Bermuda, Bahamas, <laughs> but yes, nice. they're a big fan of the theater here in the U.S. <laughs> in K-12. Or cartoons. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Super Tuesday accounts for just over a third of all delegates that will be awarded in the primaries. 33.4%. Sorry, what was that? How many? Um, it accounts for one third, did you say? Just over a third. 33.4% of all delegates awarded in, in the contest. I think the thing is, though, considering the lack of unity currently in the party i think not just super tuesday is going to count every fucking state is going to count right which poses an interesting question for when do people actually start dropping out because you you have warren and you know klobuchar that might be sitting here thinking i could have a biden i could have a biden night Mm. you know Mm -hmm. but there i do have a very particular story um Mm -hmm. from inside the biden campaign about klobuchar and warren we're going to go over that in the daily beans again so check out the daily beans wherever you get your podcasts again comes out every morning early it's perfect for your commute and they might be giants does the music they perform the theme for the daily show just so you know Mm -hmm. so cool and malcolm in the middle so cool they won an emmy for that I know way too much about they might be giants, but that's not (laughs) possible because they're awesome. Also this week, we got a lot of news on coronavirus, along with a lot of disinformation from the Trump campaign. In a rare press conference, (laughs) rare because they don't hold press conferences, I don't don't think they've had an official one since the Huckabee's left, Uh, but in a rare conference held in the White House briefing room, Trump named Pence and he named Pence the COVID-19 czar, uh, who then walked up, wiped his nose and then shook hands with everybody. Uh, I'm not kidding. Uh, He then told us he is the best disease man because there was a case of MERS one time in Indiana when he was governor. Mm -hmm. And in a subsequent briefing, which we'll talk about in a second, he actually bragged about his handling of the HIV crisis in Indiana in 2015. The one where his official mitigation strategy was prayer. 
Um, well, hopefully, since coronavirus disproportionately affects older people, he'll have some amount of compassion for this moving forward that he didn't <laughs> have for HIV. Mayhaps, but I think he's literally 27 years old and just has that gray hair. Uh, Trump went on to name Steve uh, Mnuchin and Larry Kudlow as uh, other chief enforcers, and then put Stephen Miller's new wife in charge of communications. New and f- wife! And forced an edict that any and all statements about the outbreak would have to go through the vice president's office. At a rally this week, Trump called the outbreak a Democratic hoax. Sorry, he said a Democrat hoax. Around that time, Merriam-Webster online tweeted that the word hoax was trending as the most looked up word. So it seems Trump supporters were finally compelled to find out what the word hoax means. I guess they couldn't be bothered during the Russia hoax or the impeachment hoax. (laughs) Um, The next day, Trump held another press conference in which he lied about the number of cases in the U.S., saying there were 22 when there were at the time actually 68. He then told us about the first death uh, from coronavirus in the U.S. that occurred in Washington state, said it was a woman. He was incorrect. It was, in fact, a man. Pence got up and talked about his amazing handling of the HIV epidemic in his state. I was talking to you about that before. The doctors got up and assured the American people they had not been muzzled right after they said a bunch of nice things about Dear Leader. Trump was asked if he still thinks it's a hoax now that someone had died, and he lied again and said he didn't say the coronavirus was a hoax. He said something ambiguous like the Democrats are a hoax or something. Just wanted um, to throw that in there unrelated or something? Just I couldn't even figure out what he was trying to say. He's too stupid to nail down sometimes. Mm-hmm. The entire thing was just a Trump ass kissing clusterfuck that probably left more Americans uncertain and worried than anything else. Um, Trump also banned travel from South Korea, Iran, and Italy. Uh, Jordan has been covering the coronavirus story along with news from the CDC and the World Health Organization on the Daily Beans. So listen there for daily updates as we try to cobble together as much actual information about what's happening as we can. And the last time we were together, we had gotten the Roger Stone sentencing. Uh, And we have found out that the judge, Amy Berman Jackson, was still considering the motion for retrial and that Stone filed a motion to have Jackson removed as the judge because she praised the integrity of the jury. And the basis uh, for Stone's retrial motion is that the jury, specifically the four-person, was biased against Trump and and, and Roger Stone. Mm -hmm. So that's actually the last time we were were together. And so much has happened since then in the Stone case. Um, By the way, if you're Donald Trump, saying that no trial is fair if anyone that participates hates you is a good strategy since you can't throw a stone in D.C. or New York without hitting (laughs) 762 people that hate you. Or at least know you're a criminal and a liar. Trump even uh, took his attacks... Um, from the juror to Judge Jackson and then to the justices, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and Sonia Sotomayor, saying they have to recuse themselves from all Trump cases because they're biased against him. So that's, everyone hates me. Yeah, we do. And that doesn't affect them. So shut up. Mm -hmm. In any case, Berman Jackson denied Stone's motion to have her removed as the judge, saying the motion was nothing more than a publicity stunt to get the words judge and biased into a court filing that Trump would probably jerk off to later. Burn. So she tossed that. <laughs> Wait, she didn't say that last part, but she said the first part, right? Yeah, she yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she did. That would be amazing if she just threw the jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be like, dude, I'm voting for you, even though you don't vote for judges. So, not federal ones. So yeah. she tossed that motion. And then she held hearings on the retrial motion, a few in one day, about the jurors, uh, even though she ruled she didn't need to. So she's going above and beyond, right? She questioned three jurors. The first two assured the court and assured the judge that the four-person was not biased, uh, that she was voted for as the four-person by secret ballot. And, in fact, she was the only one that delayed deliberations to ask a question about the evidence and that they all would have come back with a guilty verdict much faster had she not tempered the proceedings with her you know, thoughtful deliberation. 
Um, Judge Jackson then questioned the foreperson who said she was not biased in the case. She shut down her social media for most of the trial, and she did not recall posting any specific anti-Trump or anti-Stone articles during the trial. Stone's lawyer also got a chance to question her, and she said the same things. The judge did not rule um, uh, that day. She still has not ruled. She insinuated in earlier proceedings, um, I'm talking about the sentencing hearing, that she wanted to respond to the retrial motion in writing. So I'm sure she's hard at work on that, and we will get a thoughtful and probably intense work product from her soon. My beans are on her denying the motion. Mm -hmm. I guess she said she shut off her social media as if Roger Stone is relevant enough at all to be grazing people's (laughs) social media feeds. Yeah, and Roger Stone is back and forth on this, too. Like, sometimes he'll be like, I'm not important enough Mm -hmm. for a gag order. And then other times he's like, I'm the most important thing. And it's just like... Yeah, I guess I'm more talking about organic talk, whereas he's specifically putting things out about his stupid fucking book or to attack the judge. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. All that Roger Stone stuff mm-hmm. happened this week, and I'm I, I I'm sure by the uh, the next time we talk uh, on Mueller, she wrote, we'll mm-hmm. have we'll have a, a decision mm-hmm. on the retrial motion. So we'll be right back with today's hot notes, sabotage, and the fantasy indictment league. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Worthy. I'm a big proponent of selling your engagement ring if your relationship ends. (laughs) Selling jewelry you don't wear frees up negative energy attached to it. And I do think objects like that hold negative energy, and it helps you move on, both emotionally and financially, so you don't have to sit there and stare at it on your finger or in your jewelry box. Worthy believes you deserve an easier way to sell your, your valuable jewelry. You just schedule a free, secure pickup, fully insured by Lloyd's of London and tracked by FedEx, Worthy does all the work for you, and you get a total peace of mind. Um, Expert gemologists from GIA prepare your jewelry for auction. You're in control at every step. You choose what price to accept, uh, even after you send in your jewelry. So you can watch the offers roll in, sometimes for up to twice as much as what you'd think you could get from like a local jeweler or a pawn shop. And you get paid quickly within just a few days. With Worthy, you can trust that you're getting the best possible price for your jewelry. You may have already seen Worthy on the Today Show, New York Times, Washington Post, Forbes, and more. There are tens of thousands of happy sellers who have sold over $100 million worth of jewelry with Worthy. Also, tons of five-star reviews. Selling your jewelry can be a great way to reinvent yourself and your future. So why would you settle for anything less than the best price you can get? Give Worthy a try, and you could get double what you get from a local jeweler. See all the rave reviews and success stories right on their website. Go to worthy.com slash AG to get started. That's W-O-R-T-H-Y dot com slash AG. You'll be glad you did. Hot notes. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today we have Hot Notes, the Department of Justice edition. Jordan, what do you have for us? Yeah, just a heads up, this segment is not going to be very funny because the story is really awful. The Justice Department has created an official office whose purpose is to denaturalize immigrants. They said the purpose of the office is, quote, to bring justice to terrorists, war criminals, sex offenders, and other fraudsters, end quote. So amazing to me because that description literally describes the white-collar criminals that effectively run this country currently. And this is just a blatant example, I think, of scapegoating and creating a distraction or a look-over-here pebble, as we've called it, (laughs) trying, (laughs) trying to stir up anger and aggression towards the wrong group of people. All while the real source of the chaos is the group saying that they're the ones protecting you. They're the fucking war criminals. They're the sex offenders. They're especially the fraudsters. And this is just bullshit. Um, Joseph Hunt, he's the head of the DOJ civil division, said the denaturalization section will further the the department's efforts to pursue those who unlawfully obtain citizenship status and ensure that they are held accountable for their fraudulent conduct. 
again, all this while the ones at the top of this department keep criming, keep covering up for the president, and keep ensuring that he, a natural-born citizen, and by his claims a true patriot, gets to do whatever the fuck he wants all the time. Uh, some lawyers in the Justice Department are also afraid that this office is going to be wrongfully used against naturalized immigrants who have not committed any crimes, just like our current system is used against our own citizens, mostly people of color. See a pattern? Look, I'm I, like I'm obviously not saying that people who are actually guilty of terrorism, like actual terrorism, or or are sexual predators, shouldn't be brought to justice on principle. But Trump is putting on a giant target on their backs, on the backs of black and brown people who he successfully used to weaponize racism that his base just eats up. They love that shit, and mm-hmm. it's disgusting. He's casting such a big net over migrants, regardless of whether or not they actually committed crimes. In fact, I think part of him doing this and casting this wide net is to intentionally catch folks up in it that shouldn't have ever been entangled in the first place. Uh, and, you know, under Obama, he also pursued denaturalizations, um, it also targeted people that lied on their applications or committed other crimes. But denaturalizations have gone up so much under Trump, it's not even comparable. There's been 228 denaturalization cases that the DOJ filed since 2008, and 40% of those have been filed since 2017. Wow. Yeah. So it's like for people that, you know, including Trump, want to say, well, Obama did this. Not at this mm-hmm. scale. Mm-hmm. Not putting all of these resources behind it like this. Now, and did you read? Um, there were just this. This is breaking, so I don't. I haven't mm-hmm. read the entire decision yet. But Ken Cuccinelli, a federal judge, has determined that he was installed illegally uh, under the Vacancies Act, mm. and that his decisions on asylum seekers uh, must be voided. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be appealed. Yeah. Just yeah. for future reference, every win, every court win that I put up on totally. Twitter mm-hmm. can be appealed and probably will be. Definitely. There can be a stay put on it and there probably will be despite Judge Sotomayor saying it's being abused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize that that's how stays kind of work sometimes is the administration essentially comes to you and like asks for it basically. Yeah, they file a motion. Yeah. And yeah. I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess when you say file a motion, it's like that happens all the time. But to think that it's coming, it didn't used to happen all the time. Right there, were, those motions weren't filed all the time. Well, no years. president's been doing all this shit so much, yeah, exactly. and I, and I think the problem here is that a judge might will probably see it when a president files a request for a stay, denying it could be perceived as political, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely, and could also make it so that their appeals could win. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think they're they're doing it in in. You know, with an abundance of caution, because this is the Trump administration, just like when they opened the Russia investigation and they made sure every single step was taken properly when they were investigating Trump. And even even Trump's IG couldn't find anything wrong with the, you know, the opening of the Russia investigation because they they had to be very careful. It's the president. Mm -hmm. I think that might 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 add to it. And, um, you know, Mulvaney has even said when he did that speech at the Oxford Union recently, we actually need more immigrants. And he actually said that to a group of uh, Mm -hmm. conservative folks. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I said this a couple of years ago um, when Trump first started with his attack on legal and illegal immigration, that this country is a business and you can't keep the front doors locked. Mm -hmm. You need customers. Mm -hmm. And and I you know I'm not trying to diminish human beings into customers, but mm-hmm. 
they, you know, the immigrants, not only do they bring incredible diversity and, and mm-hmm. talent and, and amazingness to our country, we it's the fabric of our nation, mm-hmm. but they also generate revenue, mm-hmm. yep. uh, f- not just for the federal government but, uh, by way of taxes, but in our economy, mm-hmm. billions. So mm-hmm. it's, it's important. And yeah. I think that's what Mulvaney was sort of recognizing when he said those yeah. words. It's just, why would you... Right. Yeah. And it establishes cultural ties between us and places across the globe, even if, you know, these folks are coming here fleeing violence, which is <laughs> awful. That doesn't mean, you know, that the entire culture of the place that they're fleeing is devoid of any value. They come here and it's a beautiful thing for fucking whiteies and <laughs> other. <laughs> other and it's not just white people here, obviously, but mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? Just like super Western bubbly thinking to be to be pierced and to be like there's other shit yeah. there's other beautiful shit out there and it gives you a sense of another being a global citizen yes and it's so important and it's the exact opposite of the isolationism that trump wants to you know perpetuate yes perpetuate and capitalize off of yep yep all right well thank you for that reporting mm-hmm. uh i'm interested to see what happens with the cuccinelli case too yeah that is very interesting and we finally got a decision from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals in the House Judiciary subpoena of former White House counsel Don McGahn. I think in a previous episode I said it was the House Oversight Committee. It's the House Judiciary. Um, in a two, Actually, that might be in the interview later with Glenn Kirshner, so just don't need a correction on that. It's the House Judiciary. I know it. Uh, in a two-to-one decision, the judges dismissed the case with Judge Griffith, a Bush appointee, writing on behalf of the court, quote, the Department of Justice on behalf of McGahn, responds that Article 3 of the Constitution forbids federal courts from resolving this kind of interbranch information dispute. We agree and dismiss the case. And I don't, that goes against all other previous decisions. Does it? In these matters. Hmm. Um, so basically, they're just saying, executive and legislative, you duke it out. This is a point where we draw a line in the sand and the judiciary stays over here. Yeah, and it goes against the, even the Trump administration and Republicans' arguments in the, in the impeachment inquiry, saying that the Dems don't have a case because they failed to go to court for subpoenas for Bolton and and everybody, Mulvaney. Mm-hmm. Remember? And right, so as if they were going to do anything lawfully in yeah. the first place. And But then the DOJ asked, out of the other side of their mouth, asked the court to dismiss this case because the the, the courts don't shouldn't have a say in in enforcing subpoenas from the congress to the executive so um yeah and that of course paved the way for republicans in the senate to acquit the president Uh, the other judge voting in the case was a gw appointee and the third dissenting opinion came from a clinton appointee who uh must have been like what (laughs) um I will be talking with Glenn Kirshner about this decision, uh, where we go from here, and what he thinks about what's going on in the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., where he worked for 30 years, including with Jesse Liu, the ousted U.S. Attorney there. Uh, That'll be after the final break. But before we do the final break, are you ready for sabotage? Yep. All right, so we recently found out a guy named Andy Kawaja, who had been on my fantasy indictment draft since the minority report came out from the House Intelligence Committee after the Russia investigation. He had been charged with campaign finance violations, but he says there's a bigger story. And this sort of reminds me of, you know how we thought that Parnas and Fruman were indicted to keep them from talking? This is sort of what Kawaja is saying. He's calling himself a whistleblower. And he says Saudi Arabia and the Emirate of Abu Dhabi bought the 2016 election from Donald Trump for Donald Trump. 
and uh, he was charged retaliatorily. He alleges that the Saudis and Emiratis illegally paid tens of millions of dollars to the Trump campaign and disguised the money as small donations from Americans using stolen identities and virtual credit cards, like those little gift visa cards. Yeah. As donations uh, um, of less than $200 don't have to be reported to the FEC. Mm. So these were all very small. But they added up to tens of millions of dollars. He said they made the payments using a payment processing technology we call it S- Stripe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says he knows this because he sold the know-how and the technology to George Nader, who orchestrated the whole thing. He says Nader told him he needed the payment engine to make online micropayments in bulk to the Trump campaign and the RNC. He also said, Kawaja said Nader told him Trump promised he'd be hard on Iran if the Saudis and the Emirat- Emiratis helped him win. And that he would destroy Obama's nuclear deal. He would cripple the Iranian economy with sanctions on oil. He also told him the Russians were on board. Nader told Kawaja the Russians were on board. And that Nader himself had met with Putin and gotten the green light from him because he wanted Hillary to lose. (laughs) Great. He then provided photos of Nader with Putin. Whoa. Multiple photos of a meeting between Nader and Putin. Is this the first time we're hearing this? Yes. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I sort of wanted to focus on this one. The Department of Justice, though, uh, indicted Nader and Kawaja for making illegal payments to the Hillary campaign. The U.S. now considers Kawaja a fugitive. Dude. Wow. Jesus Christ. I mean, I guess indict him again then, (laughs) right? Well, yeah, I think they'll probably just like we thought there would be superseding indictments coming for uh, Fruman and Parnas Mm -hmm. and Korea because they're trying to, you know, stamp them out and, you know, disappear them that we might get superseding indictments for Kowaja and Nader. Yeah. Holy shit. But for but for messing with the Hillary campaign. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Well, we will be right back. Uh, to discuss... Oh, wait. Let's do the Fantasy Indictment League first. You ready to play the Fantasy Indictment League? Yes. I'm going to be indicted! No, wait. It's going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! Hold it. They can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! Okay, Jordan, you get to go first this time. What what say you? I'll do Nader. Nice. Superseding. Yes. Superseding Nader. And I'll do a superseding Kawaja. Nice. What is Kawaja already indicted for? Campaign finance violations alongside Nader okay. for donating, making straw man donations to Hillary's campaign. Right. And so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's, uh, it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and of course, Seth Abramson is like, I told all you motherfuckers this in my book. Read my book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Tom Berg. Mm-hmm. Classic. Classic. Superseding Parnas. Nice. Superseding Fruman. (laughs) Superseding Korea. uh, C O R R I A. I I will do AMI. All right. God. I'll do Giuliani. Do you remember what the statute of limitations is on an AMI case, if any? Five years for federal crimes. Okay. Mm. Um, Pecker. Pecker. And I'll go Ghislaine. Mm. Although, and, and now it's this is totally flipped, right? Because now we're picking indictments that we think will be retaliatory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just it's mm-hmm. scary times. Okay, now we will be right back to discuss the implications from the McGann decision right after this quick word about Dungeons & Dragons. Stay with us. Mm-hmm. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and this uh, portion of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by the Dungeons & Dragons podcast called Awful Neutral. I'm on it. Uh, and it's uh, basically seven comedians playing different role-playing games. Mostly we play classic D&D, but we've also done a special Halloween Call of Cthulhu episode. We did a Leprechaun episode for St. Patrick's Day that's coming out soon. And we did, uh, and also we're doing Kids on Bikes, which is a role-playing game based on Stranger Things, which is awesome. And I think you'll really enjoy it. It's sort of my free time, my downtime, and it's kind of crass um, and just a lot of fun. And I think that you'll really appreciate it. So wherever you get your podcasts, look for Awful Neutral. You can also follow us on Twitter at AwfulDND. And uh, I think you'll, you know, it's just, it's fun. If you're into role-playing stuff, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And even if you're not, you'll probably be like, okay, I need to start playing role-playing games. So check it out. Again, Awful Neutral. I think you'll love it. Joining us today for the interview is MSNBC legal analyst and former 30-year federal prosecutor with the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. Please welcome Glenn Kirshner to the show. Glenn, thanks for coming back on Mueller, she wrote. Yeah, happy to be with you. Yeah, I'm so glad that I, I was able to get a chance to talk to you because, as you know, yesterday uh, we finally got the seemingly delayed ruling from the D.C. District Court of Appeals on the House Oversight Committee's subpoena of Don McGahn. This is a long time coming, and I've read through the ruling, and it seems as though the court has decided in a 2-1 decision that they don't have jurisdiction to decide interbranch issues between the executive and Congress. What are your takeaways from this ruling? You know, my takeaway is that I understand that the courts are loath to enter the fray when it comes to what they call the political question doctrine. They think the other branches of government ought to fight it out. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that conceptually, as long as the other two branches of government are acting in good faith and being at least minimally law abiding. That really does help. Unfortunately, we have an executive branch that doesn't give one whit about the law. And, you know, ordinarily, when the executive branch runs amok, when the executive branch engages in crime and corruption and abuses, it's the attorney general's job. It's the job of the Department of Justice and the FBI to address that. Unfortunately, our constitutional construct did not take into account what happens if you have a corrupt president as enabled and supported by a corrupt attorney general. That is why I think we have to turn to the courts to inject some sort of law-abiding sanity into what we've been experiencing. And two of the three Federal Circuit Court of Appeals judges in D.C. just said, nope, we're out of it. So it is yet another dark day for the rule of law in our country, given the opinion they handed down yesterday in the McGahn case. Yeah, I, I, I feel you on that because, I mean, well, first of all, we've seen the Trump camp and his lawyers and his legal team and Trump himself argue that they can't be investigated by state investigators or district attorneys. They can't be investigated by Congress. He can't be impeached. And even during the impeachment proceedings, they argued that Democrats should have relied on the courts to rule on, for example, the Bolton testimony. So how do they I don't even understand how they can justify that kind of contradiction here. Yeah, welcome to King Donald. Um, <laughs> apparently, nobody can address his crimes and abuses. Um, you know, 
here, if there is a little bit of a silver lining hiding behind this enormous dark cloud, uh, it is that it was a 2-1 split. So two of the justices decided that this is what we call a non-justiciable issue. It's not an issue that they believe the courts should take up. But even those two judges, there was a, they, they kind of splintered on the question of whether there is such a thing as absolute immunity, which is what McGahn and others are claiming. You know, absolute immunity is not a thing. There's no such legal doctrine of absolute immunity. So the opinion was really more of a one-one-one split. You have Judge uh, Thomas Griffith, who was appointed by George W. Bush, and I'm generally loathe to point out who appointed a particular judge because, you know, judges are not supposed to be driven by politics or ideology or who they were appointed by. And I will tell you, in my 30 years as a prosecutor, I appeared before hundreds of judges, both civilian and military. And until, you know, Donald Trump entered our world, I never once asked or knew who appointed which judge. It just didn't matter. It, of course, does matter now. So you got Judge Thomas Griffith, who wrote the opinion for the majority. Then you've got Judge Karen Henderson, who was appointed by George H.W. Bush, who went with Thomas Griffith and said, we don't think this is an issue the courts should be involved in. But she said, and by the way, ain't no thing as absolute immunity, which is actually a pretty consequential question, because that's what Don McGahn is asserting. And then, of course, you have Judge Judith Rogers, who was appointed by Bill Clinton, who dissented flat out and said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Congress's power is at its zenith when it is trying to acquire the evidence and information it needs to conduct a full, fair impeachment inquiry. So she just flat out dissented. So, yes, it was a 2-1 opinion, but on some really consequential issues, it was more of a one-one-one opinion. So what I think that guarantees is that the House is going to not just appeal this, but the first step is that they'll probably petition for reconsideration of this opinion. And I hate to be down in the appellate weeds, but I did do appellate prosecution for a number of years. There are two ways you can petition for reconsideration. One, you could just go right back to the same three-judge panel and say, uh, hey, judges, all due respect, we think you got this one wrong and we would like you to reconsider it. I think they may forego that step in favor of what's called en banc uh, reconsideration. En banc, fancy Latin word for full bench, all of the judges. So they will probably ask for all 11 D.C. Federal Circuit appellate court judges to reconsider what the three judges on the panel just said. And here, I'm going to go right back to politics, unfortunately, because of the 11 judges who sit on the D.C. Court of Appeals, seven were appointed by uh, Democrats, four were appointed by Republicans. Again, that shouldn't matter, but frankly, in this day and age, it may matter. So we may see the full court overturn what we just got out of those three judges. Yeah, and and bringing up the, I'm I'm with you on never thinking about who appointed judges before. It didn't really matter until now because of Trump. Uh, just seeing some of these these picks that he puts forward. Um, and you said of the eleven, seven are are dem- uh, appointed by Democrats, four reported by Republicans. And I think what makes that important is not so much that we don't think that the 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 
decision will be a fair and judicious one. It's that Trump will point out that there are only four Republicans on that court and blame his loss, if they hand him a loss on this, on that. And I I do assume that if, you know, they apply to have the case reheard or the, the argument reheard uh, on Bonk and the House oversight uh, wins this round, then Trump will uh, and the Department of Justice will then file with uh, the Supreme Court. Yeah, of course. And their game is delay, delay, delay. And interestingly, until this opinion, they had lost pretty much every court opinion that has come out on this and other issues. And But ironically, Trump is going to win by losing because the longer he loses, the longer he can appeal and the longer he can hold off the day of reckoning. And he can hold off that day of reckoning until well after the upcoming election. So he actually wins by losing every court case. But as you say, if the um, the full court reverses this opinion and says, you know what, one, there is no such thing as absolute immunity, and two, Don McGahn, you need to testify. Well, then you know Trump is going to have the DOJ appeal that up to the Supremes, and that is going to take a very long time to be resolved. Yep. And so question for you then, given the balance of the full bench, and there is a probably a pretty decent likelihood, especially considering Henderson and Rogers uh, both think there's no such thing as absolute immunity. Um, and, and so the, the chances are pretty good. Do you think that House oversight should go with that? Or do you think, as you've said in some of your tweets, and you've been saying actually since before any of these cases got to where they are now, that the House should just exercise, say, okay, court, it's not up to you, it's up to us, great, and then exercise its inherent contempt powers. And I was hoping you could tell us what that means and if you think they should do that or both, uh, you know, appeal on bonk and exercise their inherent contempt powers. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. They should do both. So the first thing, they're go- they can't let this opinion stand unchallenged. So they have to go on bonk to try to get the full court to unravel what is a really bad legal opinion. Not bad politically. I think it's bad legally. And they also, yesterday, should be issuing subpoenas and should be enforcing those subpoenas by their lawful power of inherent contempt. And, you know, I wrote an article about this for NBC News blog, Think, um, back about six months ago, and I retweeted it out because, you know, uh, what's old is new again. So the inherent contempt power at this moment is really the only vehicle available to the Congress to get people to come in and tell the truth about what this criminal president has been up to. The inherent contempt power simply provides that if somebody thumbs their nose at a congressional subpoena and says, I ain't coming in, I ain't testifying, or if I do come in, I'm going to invoke absolute immunity and I'm not going to say anything, um, the Congress has the power to vote in the full House whether that witness should be held in contempt. If they vote that he or she should be held in contempt, they can then enforce that contempt citation, that contempt finding. And here's what they do. They send the sergeant at arms, Paul D. Irving, retired Secret Service agent. He knows his way around a pair of handcuffs. They send him out probably as supplemented by U.S. Capitol Police officers. So the U.S. Capitol Police Force is the only law enforcement agency under the control of the legislative branch. 
All of the others are under the control of the executive branch, FBI, DEA, ATF, you know, Park Police, uh, Secret Service. I could go on and on. But the Capitol Police, that, that's the police force for the legislature. And they actually have every right, and this has been affirmed by the Supreme Court, even though they haven't done it since the 1930s, they have every right to arrest for contempt anybody who fails to comply with their lawfully issued subpoenas. That's the only vehicle they have left. There are a couple of other ways to enforce um, congressionally issued subpoenas, but they're basically dead doctrines at this point because one is what they did with McGahn. They try to bring suit to enforce the subpoena, and two of the three judges just said can't do it. The other way they can do it is what's called criminal contempt. That would require Bill Barr to refer a contempt charge for somebody who refused to appear on a congressional subpoena, refer it to my old office, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia, so the prosecutors there, all of my friends and former colleagues, could pursue in court holding somebody in contempt criminally for failing to comply with a congressional subpoena. Well, you think Bill Barr mm -hmm. is going to refer anybody who is Trump-friendly for that kind of a potential uh, criminal uh, contempt proceeding? Oh, heck no. Uh, you probably don't want me to go off on what's going on in my old office, the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., but that is where they just famously installed a brand-new attorney named Tim Shea, who on day one walked up to my former colleagues in the Roger Stone case. These people had been prosecuting that case honestly, ethically, apolitically, and aggressively. And on day one, the U.S. attorney said, hey, guys, you need to go light on Roger Stone. Boy, that is as ugly and unethical an act as I have ever seen in my 30 years as a federal prosecutor. Hmm. I had a feeling you might want to talk about that. Um, and I, I want to get to that in just a second. But I did have a quick question, though, about doing both remedies for appealing on banc and uh, using inherent contempt powers, because it makes sense. You send the, the sergeant at arms out and they they exercise that, which they haven't done in 90 years or something, as you said. Uh, and and their argument could be because of this ruling, well, we used to go to the courts, but now we can't. The courts are saying they don't resolve these kind of issues, so they would have at least a good argument there. But would appealing on bonk weaken an argument to use inherent contempt powers? No. And, I, you know, listen, that is a lawful vehicle that is on the books. And even though it hasn't been used in a while, the Supreme Court said they have every right to enforce their own subpoenas. I think it was Ben Franklin who said, you know, it would be folly to say that the Congress has the right to impeach, but they don't have the power to obtain the evidence they need to decide whether to impeach. Um, so, no, this is I, I don't think appealing a bad decision undercuts the lawful process of inherent contempt. They could have and should have been doing it all along. I understand that there would be an accusation that it was somehow heavy-handed to lock up people who refuse to comply with lawfully issued congressional subpoenas. But you know what? Trump and Barr in tandem have employed every heavy-handed tactic known to man. And so for the Dems in Congress to respond in kind with a lawful, albeit somewhat aggressive approach, you know, is long overdue. 
Yeah, that's a good point. It's impossible to weaken an argument uh, to you know to use something that's on the books as some as a remedy, a legal remedy that you have. Uh, and this is funny. I had this. Here's what my script of questions says, Glenn. It says, before I let you go, since you worked at the USAO in D.C. for so long, I'd like to get your thoughts on what happened to Jesse Liu being replaced by Tim Shea. <laughs> and you've already sort of touched on it a little bit. Uh, and uh, yeah, as you saying, it's the most offensive thing you've seen in 30 years. I'm also interested in, in to know what you think about what happened to Jesse Liu. Yeah, so I know Jesse because we were line prosecutors in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the early 2000s when she was there for four years before moving on to some other jobs. Then, of course, she returned as my final and 10th U.S. Attorney that I served under uh, before I retired from the Department of Justice in June of 2016. And, you know, I served under six presidents from Reagan to Trump. I served under 10 U.S. Attorneys. Never once did I have a U.S. attorney come to me and tell me to do anything differently in any of my prosecutions. So when I read the New York Times reporting that Tim Shea told the Roger Stone prosecution team the first day he arrived at the office, you need to go easy on Roger. I'm obviously paraphrasing there. But, um, you know, again, that is sort of obscenely unethical. Jesse Liu, you know, yes, she was appointed by Trump. Yes, she was only one of two U.S. attorneys who were personally interviewed by Trump before he decided to nominate them. You know, there are 94 U.S. attorneys offices in the country. He chooses to personally interview the, you know, the one who's going to head up the D.C. practice, which is, you know, politics central and the Southern District of New York, which is, you know, prosecution central for some of our most high profile political cases. Um, and he interviews Jesse and Jeff Berman personally before he, you know, picks them. Some might say installs them. Maybe he thought Jesse was going to be a, a lackey. Well, Jesse is no lackey. Mm-hmm. Jesse prosecutes people honestly, fairly, ethically, and apolitically, regardless of what her own political persuasion may be. So, you know, it's crazy in my view that after the first investigative team on the Andrew McCabe case (laughs) said, guess what? Not enough evidence to prosecute. Well, then that team was replaced with a second prosecution team. That team presented the case to the grand jury based on all the reporting that we've seen. And it looks like one of two things happened. Either the grand jury no-billed, they said, you ain't got enough to indict Andrew McCabe, or they may have actually not asked the grand jury for a vote, sensing that the grand jury would no bill. Those are both completely legitimate procedures. I've done both in grand juries. But the fact that you know Trump perceived that my old office wasn't being aggressive enough and carrying out his desire to punish one of his sworn enemies, Andrew McCabe, by prosecuting him, notwithstanding that we apparently didn't have enough evidence. What does he do? He yanks Jesse Liu out of the number one spot at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. Now, granted, he nominated her for a position in Treasury. But what did he do two weeks later? He withdrew that nomination. So my question is, was that whole thing a ruse to just get her out of a position, install a bar loyalist, 
uh, somebody who's been described as a bar acolyte, Tim Shea. So maybe he will do the president's dirty bidding as the top prosecutor in D.C. Let's see if they start to dig into and investigate the Jim Comeys of the world and the Brennans of the world and the Clappers of the world. We know they couldn't get an uh, indictment against Andrew McCabe. Let's see where they go next. Yeah, well, I'm sure you know how I feel about that question. Um, and, you know, everything that you just went through. Also, last year, right around the time that the grand jury did not return an indictment on Andrew McCabe, uh, I believe Trump tried to move Jesse Lou out at that point again, too, to give her the number three spot in the Department of Justice. It just seems to me like he's trying to, as he did with Marie Ivanovich, remove somebody that would that's not doing his corrupt bidding. Yeah. And when he doesn't like you, what does he do? Uh, I read the reporting by Jonathan Swan and Axios. He puts you on an enemies list. Um, I mean, when have we heard that before? Hello, Richard Nixon. <laughs> I, you know, this is we have sunk so far. And for the appellate court in the McGahn case now say, no, no, no. Hey, Congress and executive branch, just work in good faith and negotiate and engage in accommodations and everything's going to be okay. Really, I would like to know what planet Judge Thomas Griffith actually lives on. Yeah, and just real quick, but uh, I guess it's not a really easy question, but I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Frank Fogluzzi, uh, Malcolm Nance, uh, uh, Andrew McCabe. So what do we do? Who do we tell? If we can't brief the gang of eight without getting somebody fired uh, and we can't, you know, we can't trust the DNI, the uh, attorney general is compromised. Most of the Senate seems to be bought and paid for. Uh, who who do you go to if you're a line employee at the Department of Justice or, or anyone in, in the 17 intelligence community agencies and you've seen some shit? Who do you tell? Where do you go? You know, I still think Michael Horowitz, the inspector general uh, at the Department of Justice, is somebody that can be trusted to do his job fairly and apolitically. I know he also has his detractors, but when I look at the report he issued with respect to the FISA warrants and what the FBI had been doing uh, with respect to the origins of the Russia investigation, here's what I like about his findings. He criticizes everybody when he finds something to criticize. So you know what? The FBI looked, looks like it really fell down on the job with respect to some of the warrants um, and some of the re-ups that they were presenting to the FISA court, and they need to do better. And Director Ray said he takes that criticism deadly seriously, and he's committed to doing better. But what else did Michael Horowitz say? He said, the origins of the Russia investigation were sound and were righteous. And of course, you couldn't get Bill Barr in front of a microphone quickly enough to say, no, 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 no. We disagree with all of that. And then he trotted out John Durham, the U.S. attorney that he tapped to go globe trotting to try to undo the Mueller investigation conclusions, to try to undo the conclusions of the bipartisan efforts of Congress looking into the origin uh, origins of the Russia investigation. Everybody concluded they were they were righteous. And yet Barr and Durham couldn't get in front of a microphone quickly enough and do what no U.S. attorney should do, which is comment about a pending investigation. So to answer your question, I think Michael Horowitz is still someone who whistleblowers can go to. I would like to see 100 whistleblowers a week 
come forward and say, I'm sick of it. Let me tell you about the dirt I see going on inside the executive branch of our government. Unfortunately, when those people people are labeled as traitors, and you know what we used to do to traitors, according to President Trump, you can see why people are running scared. And Trump loves that people are running scared. Well, thank you uh, so much for for your insights today. I really appreciate it. Uh, MSNBC legal, legal analyst and former 30-year federal prosecutor with the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., Glenn Kirshner. It was really, really a pleasure, a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Enjoyed talking with you. All right, everybody. That's our show. Thanks again to Glenn Kirshner for coming on uh, and and telling us about his experience in, mm-hmm. in the D.C. Attorney's Office mm-hmm. with what he thinks is happening with uh, Jesse Liu mm-hmm. and Tim Shea and, and just that whole insanity. And it, and it's already old news, isn't it? The, mm-hmm. the, the weaponization of the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, we need to we need to keep that uh, at the forefront of the news. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just want to see the house hold him in contempt. Yeah, and- yeah, and that's and yeah, that, I and I agree with Kirshner on that too. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, I've been saying this for a while, mm-hmm. and, and and I just thought it was interesting too. I was like, does holding them in inherent contempt, sending the master at arms, is it master at arms? No, it's the sergeant at arms out mm. to master to, of arms. <laughs> to, <laughs> I have eight arms. <laughs> To, to hand puppet man. <laughs> it's like those blowy car sales yes. guys. They're masters of yes. arms. Um. <laughs> do they have arms? Yeah. Low, I guess low. they do. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's Wish true. you could have seen that. <laughs> uh, but I know you felt it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um. Anyway, so if you go out and like arrest McGann, for example, put him in jail until he talks, um, does doing that undercut your ability to appeal to the subpoena part of it? Like the to get to appeal the court and say, no, the court, you need to decide. Like, mm. and and I thought he made a really great point about mm-hmm. no, it's you can't undercut something that's legally your option to mm-hmm. do, and and it's still legally within the confines of the constitution to send the sergeant at arms out to arrest these mofos so we'll see what happens we'll see what shift decides to do i hope they get tough mm-hmm. but they also might be like we don't want to mess with the election yeah you mm-hmm. know we're very close at this point i guess but yeah i don't know i feel like the election has been happening for a year already it yeah. has actually has I, it? Mm-hmm. I am so stoked though just like the fact that super tuesday is in a couple days and it's only the road only continues further. Mm-hmm. And it's already March. Mm-hmm. God, I do sometimes daydream about Canadian elections, which only last four months, and there are really yeah. strict campaign finance rules. Yep. <sighs> yep. yep. Which we, which nice. I'd love to get to, but we can't unless you fucking vote for whoever the fucking nominee it's is. It's mostly <laughs> the length, man. Like, the elections there are so short. Ugh. Yeah. And it could be Biden. You don't, you know, and you're just going to have to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to. Oh, yeah. Biden is not the worst person that could get elected. I will tell you that. Not, At least not as far as I'm concerned. Out of the Democrat. Yeah. Out of no. the Democratic Democrats. field. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Totally. Yeah. Vote blue. Yep. Agreed. And I still have an offer out $1,000 to the charity of Tulsi Gabbard's choice if she doesn't run third party. <laughs> but she has to email me about it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't think she's going to. I have beans on her not doing that. Really? You got beans on her not running third? Mm-hmm. Cool. We'll I don't think happens. she's going to either. I, th- I I don't think so. Mm-mm. I hope not. She could run as a libertarian. Interesting. Mm, yeah. I, I, she, has a, Interesting. she does have a lot of libertarian fans. 
Definitely. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of libertarian fans. For sure. Yep. Yeah. A lot of pet snakes out there. <laughs> In the same episode, we welcomed our libertarian listener. I know. <laughs> He's just sitting there listening, petting a snake. <laughs> just kidding. Love you. Love you, libertarian. Seriously. Yeah. Yes. And those are old comedy tropes. Yes, they Please are. don't take yes, me seriously. Please yeah. don't take me seriously. Yeah. I get, I get most flag. of this from Triumph the Comic Dogs, <laughs> yes. you know, bit where he walks through the Star Wars fans line. Uh, Who's that. taking care of your pet tarantula while you are here? You know, <laughs> I get most of those tropes Roast. from yeah from roasts yeah. so please don't take them seriously and forgive me i do love you all yeah you can send us your favorite liberal roasts back yeah <laughs> we'll have i don't nice know if my heart can take tit it for tat <laughs> <laughs> tit for scat i feel like they're all wait scat scat oh not the poop kind of scat no isn't scatting like it is but it's also poop oh that's a multi-use word we got, I didn't read this correction because um, it was, we had too many to choose from, but there was one correction where both in the beginning and end of the compliment sandwich, it said, love all the poop jokes. Yes. <laughs> it was like, someone is a fan of Jordan and I's yes. constant poop jokes, keeping it classy as fuck. Hell yeah. Poop so. sandwich. <laughs> Shit sandwich. Oh, it's so fun. Just the duality of being, you know. A relatively intelligent person like ourselves and also loving poop. Yeah. And also being a lowbrow comic. Yes. <laughs> like, I love dick jokes. And also, I'm really into what's going on in the McGansapini case. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take me seriously. <laughs> we should have shirts that just say, Take me seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I love poop and justice. I'm a doctor of poop. <laughs> All right. Um, poop anyway. and justice. Thank you. Poop jokes and justice. There's our episode title. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Featuring Glenn Kirshner. He'll be thrilled. <laughs> People are also going to be disappointed because we didn't even have like any real poop jokes. Well, that's why you got to stay around to the end of the show. To get it. Yep. To get the poop jokes. Yeah. All right. That is <laughs> yeah, the right. show. And um, I hope that you all have a wonderful week. Um, check out the Daily Beans every morning. Um, we'll be giving you the, the news as it happens, m- particularly focused on, 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 you know, more current events. And although I guess we're always, this is all current events. It's mm-hmm. just one is more Mueller focused. One is more uh, 2020 election focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get more Trumpy. We get deeper into specific cases and stuff on Mueller, she wrote. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you very much, everyone. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. I'm Andy Reader. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production and social media direction is by Amanda Reader. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reader, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. 
and the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. M.S.W. Media.